Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Thank you for all the support lately, connecting with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, giving us reviews on Apple Podcasts, supporting us on Spotify, and all these other places that you're finding us and supporting the show. Thank you, thank you. If you haven't yet subscribed to us, go to your favorite podcast app, click that subscribe button. You'll get our episodes every Tuesday as they come out. We got lots of great content coming up. Quick note for you, I'm going to be going on sabbatical. I'll be off for a month in August. The beauty of it is I have so much material recorded that we're not going to take a week off. The only time we're going to take a week off is likely around Labor Day in September. But otherwise, you can expect episodes come out every Tuesday. And I promise to get them out weekly to you. So thanks for that. Today's episode, I really had an enjoyable discussion with Adam Brantley. He's an executive coach at Building Champions. And we talk about a couple different books, ebooks that they put together. Ultimately, the conversations around how to build a culture of coaching. And it really starts at the top with the leaders and how do you coach your people. But at the same time, it's, you know, with the very good team environment and culture. How do you coach each other to become better? So I really enjoyed this. Adam was fantastic on the podcast. So smart. And I'm really excited to share this one with you. So enjoy the episode. If you love the content, if you liked Adam, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. Give us a review. We would appreciate it. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I always love hearing notes about how this content is helping you in your job, in your workplace. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to transform the workplace. So thanks again for the support. And we'll talk to you next week. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Brandon. I'm excited to be here. Excited for our conversation today. Tell me about your background. How did you become an executive coach? What led you to it? And what have you been up to? My previous work history before becoming an executive coach, I was an owner-operator in the restaurant industry where I led teams for a number of years. Unique opportunity came up. When I think about leadership, my primary role in life is to lead my family. My beautiful bride is a really talented individual and she got this really cool job offer, which meant that I was going to have to give up the keys to the restaurant business and move away from that. But it sounded like an adventure. One of our other coaches says adventure happens at the intersection of fear and excitement. I felt like that's where we were and I didn't want my wife to ever have regrets. So I gave the keys to the restaurant. And what brought me to executive coaching specifically was really tied to my personal mission statement, impacting lives, exceptional experiences. I had a coach myself when I was in the restaurant industry and I just really connected with building champions and just this idea of coaching in general, belief in others, seeing other people's achieve success that they didn't know they were possible and really ultimately seeing the impact that it had on my business. So when I put all that together, that's where I'm coming from and how I ended up in the coaching chair today. It's interesting about coaching. If you particularly had really good coaches, it's almost like you want to do the same later on. Like once you've you know mastered your role, then you want to share the love with other people, and you can sort of build this coaching culture. 
so to speak, right? Like, so in the restaurant industry, if you have good coaches and you like coaching, probably to whatever you do next, you just kind of default to being a coach, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it probably could go both ways, whether you have really great coaches or possibly even have really, really bad coaches as well. But ultimately, (laughs) I think the reason that is, is that you get this deep belief that growing people can impact the organization. And what a cool way to grow your business. And when you're pouring into the lives of other people and achieving results at the same thing, I think it just kind of gets you hooked on it. Give me a history lesson. You've been in this executive coaching role for a while. You've been in the business world a long time. Bring us like all the way back from the historical work environment, how it's structured from a leadership standpoint, and bring us all the way to modern day and even where you want to go in the future from a coaching culture standpoint. Where are we coming from? Well, historically speaking, I mean, if we go back 50 years, the manufacturing age where it was just a very hierarchical kind of Mm -hmm. system, right? And everything was very directive and, hey, people are just a cog in the wheel. But now you bring it all the way up to where we are today of this information age, knowledge economy. People desire different things out of the cultures they're a part of and the workplaces they're a part of, right? People ultimately want to feel valued and included and challenged and engaged versus the whole directive and managed mindset. And I think that's where coaching fits in beautifully. It creates this incredible opportunity that if we want to build this fantastic, great workplace, you need a coaching culture, really, because it's this idea of belief in others and growing other people. This coaching idea of not being directive, right? But engaging other people, like it prioritizes the engagement, reflective collaboration, problem solving. So just an incredible opportunity all the way around that we have today that we didn't have and didn't value 50 years ago. Well, I think it's interesting if you go back 50 years ago, at the time, maybe the hierarchical leadership style worked. I look at it now, I'm like, eh, maybe in some organizations, it still might work. But you said something that stuck out in my mind, I didn't really thought of is the information age. The fact that information flows at such a rapid rate, the hierarchical level could actually stagnate growth. There's too much red tape involved. I think if you empower people and coach them, the rapid spread of ideas would happen so fast. I, th- I would think people would be more engaged. Is that how you would think about it too? Yeah, absolutely. And you could probably throw the social media age in there with that, mm-hmm. right? Information age, social media age. I don't know if it completely gets rid of hierarchy in our yeah. workplaces, but what I think it does do is give us just the opportunity to unlock people's potential. I mean, as people are able to engage more fluidly now, whether it's ideas or workspaces or whatever, we have a real opportunity to help people win. When you talk about coaching culture and building that, does that really mean at the leader to employee level to the peer to peer level? Like, what are you describing? Is it just all across levels? When we're talking about coaching culture, yes, it's all across levels. Because if you think about culture, it's made up of a bunch of individuals, right? Doing the same thing, believing the same thing. So if you think about just the idea of coaching leadership, that's one-on-one. But really, a coaching culture is across the entire organization from the top all the way down. And it seems like just based on what you said there, it would be less hierarchical. It'd be more team-oriented and really a flat structure from an operating standpoint. Is that really how you believe that the modern workforce should operate? 
Not necessarily. I mean, I don't know if I have strong thoughts or opinions about what the hierarchy of the actual organization needs to be. I think it lies more in the actual engagement that a leader has with their direct reports or that a leader has with their team. And so describe what coaching really looks like from manager or leader to employee, or even with teammates. What kind of questions are they asking? What's their interaction look like? Anything that you describe with that? Mm, in the specific coaching relationship one-on-one? Yeah. Like if you're talking about like a coaching culture, what makes it a coaching atmosphere? The way they interact, the questions that they're asking, what is it like? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think it's a pretty big one. I'll hit kind of the big buckets at first and then we can kind of dive into them. Yeah. When you're looking at coaching leadership in one-on-one, you're really talking about a leader to a direct report, let's say. The starting point, the genesis of it is what is the mindset of that leader? Like, What are they believing about themselves, their people, the organization, the team? Because if they are looking at that in a traditional sense of, hey, I'm just here to crank numbers and data out, and we're just going (laughs) to talk about whatever your plans are, and then we're going to be in and out of here. And it just is very transactional. That's not what we're talking about, right? So this is a mind shift to more of a relational-based interaction, right? So it's a mindset shift for the leader. It's not directive, right? Like traditionally, we want to get in and a typical manager style is that we're going to direct people to do what we want them to. Yes, they have goals, but we're just going to say, hey, I know how to get you there faster. So let's go. And so it becomes this very short-sighted, short-term sort of approach to management and leadership. More of a long-term approach is this coaching leadership style where you are engaging the employee. You are asking really powerful questions. So it's not you going in. You might have an idea of what the solution is, but you're not going in telling them what it is. You're going in and saying, hey, what are you seeing? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges for you? And you're actively listening. Some skill sets of that leader are effective communication, the kind of questions you're asking, the way that you listen, the way that you drive to clarity. So you're not just going to let your employee be real vague, right? You're going to force them into very specifics of how they're going to accomplish things, giving powerful feedback, and then ultimately leveraging goals. I think when you combine those three skill sets, you get a really effective coaching leader. What is it about coaching that would drive more employee engagement? Is it the questions you're asking? Is it listening? What is it about coaching that you believe that engagement would happen in the organization? Ultimately, it's caring about the other individual that's sitting across from you, right? Mm -hmm. It's having that genuine connection and interaction. If I were going to sit down and coach you, for instance, there's four critical areas that we're going to focus in on. The first area that you and I are going to focus in on is your well-being because we believe that that self-leadership precedes team leadership. So if you're going to show up and be the best leader for your team or the best employee for the organization, you need to be leading yourself well. And so when we think about that, your well-being, do you feel satisfied and full with where life is for you and where life is going for you, right? So kind of looking at well-being in terms of three different arenas of physical well-being, social well-being, and emotional well-being. So we're going to talk about that. Like I want to know, when I have my one-on-ones with you, how are you doing? Are you feeling fresh? Are you feeling full? How are you executing there? So that's our starting point. That engages in a different way. A couple of other of the buckets, we would talk about like vision, right? Like that's my role as a coach 
is to know where we want to go as a team, where you want to go as an individual, and us continually talk about the purpose and the values and the direction that we're headed. We're going to talk about execution, right? Like this isn't just soft leadership skills, but like, hey, performance is really important. Like you still have to achieve something, right? And hit goals. So we're going to talk about your plan. Like what are your goals? What are you getting after? And then ultimately your productivity. Are you getting after the right things to move you towards the goals that you have? The high payoff activities, saying no to good so you can say yes to really great things. What does your ideal work week look like? So when you start putting these things together, these four components, it really drives a lot of engagement. I love those. The first two, you were talking about well-being and vision and purpose. I would think like most organizations, even 10, 15, 20 years ago, weren't talking about those things at all. In fact, with well-being, I don't think employers really started taking an interest in the well-being of their people until recently. I mean, we're talking about it so much that people are stressed and people are they're just unhealthy. They're burned out. And, <laughs> right? They're burned out. They're unhealthy. Like people are dying after retirement because they're just so stressed and unhealthy by the time they're out of the workforce. So I love that you start with that. And then even the vision and purpose, employers including their people in the vision and the purpose and mission of the organization, I would think that would only lead to great things with engagement. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Imagine if you were, you know, you get brought in on the team and they say, Hey, we love you. Welcome to the team. Here's your role. Set some goals and I'll check in in a little bit. And no check in ever happens or you don't really know what you're a part of, right? I mean, ultimately, as leaders, as coaching leaders, one of our primary functions is to know where we're headed and the vision that we have. And we've got to continually be bringing people into that, right? So one of the core elements of vision that we talk about when I work with an individual and we start bringing on and talking about the vision they have, you know, people want to just kind of give me the elevator speech and say, well, here's my mission statement. That's great. But what are you inviting people to belong to? Like, what is it that you're ultimately standing for? Like, what are those values or those convictions that you have? And ultimately, what is that purpose of your organization, of your team that is potentially unattainable, right? But when you think about it, as a leader, it stirs something inside of you. Mm -hmm. So you take that, this is who we are, and you communicate that to a new team member or to anybody that's on your team in your organization, say, hey, this is the unique organization you're being a part of. And this is why I picked you to be a part of this team, because I value who you are and what you have to contribute to our team. And then you continually talk about that purpose and mission and the direction the company is going. And oh, by the way, like you have a valuable role to play in our organization. Wow. Like that's a totally different mindset than what it used to be years ago. Well, then how do we make this shift? Because I would imagine there's people listening, whether it's an HR professional, a manager, an executive leader, they can make change, I'm sure. And if they're thinking, gosh, we need to get to this coaching culture, we need to do what Adam's describing. How do you start making that shift at even the microscopic level with the people, the leaders coming together and saying, we need to make this shift and here's how we do it? Like, Where are the first steps that you'd make this shift? Great question. I think that it's a little bit of individual work at first, and then it's bringing the team on as you go. So I think you know if you're sitting here listening to this day and you're like, yes, like I want to know how I can take this organization wide. I would say, start with what we just talked about, right? So we can talk about vision on an organizational level, but what if you started with 
the vision that you want for this coaching culture, right? Like you don't want it to be directive and managerial anymore, but you really want your culture to come alive. Well, describe it, like put it in terms that you define the purpose of this new culture and the envisioned future that you have for it five years from now and 10 years from now. What are those key behaviors of it? And oh, by the way, this doesn't need to be an outlier. This isn't just some fad or this is just some new you know, flavor of the month, but how can we tie this culture shift to core business drivers? The key metrics that we have that tell us whether we're succeeding or not as an organization, how can we tie this to that? Because it's directly related, right? I mean, increase employee engagement, you're going to get increased results, and they all tie together. So I would say the starting point of taking this organization-wide is to begin with what is the vision that you see. The next step would be, if that's in the future, if that's what you want five years from now or 10 years from now, what is current reality? Like, Where are things standing today? Do you have any sort of motivation for this currently on the team? Are there any competencies around what coaching leadership looks like? So you've got to define where you are in current reality. And then obviously, there's probably going to be a gap there. And so how do you bridge that gap? How do you set the course? And then that comes into what you were asking about in the original question is, where do we really start actually implementing this? And I'd say it begins with you. To the individual that's listening to this right now, it begins with you taking on the right coaching mindset and finding somebody to start coaching. Looking at it, from an organization-wide scale, it needs to be a scalable thing, right? This isn't something you're going to flip a switch and all of a sudden your culture is a coaching culture. You're going to have to have some key drivers and some key influencers embrace this and say, yeah, like we're going to take on this idea of coaching leadership. And if whoever that core driver is, they need to be in coaching themselves. Some of this could be bringing in some external coaches like myself for Building Champions, but it could be peer-to-peer, right? It's embracing what these new rhythms and engagements need to look like. If any listeners are thinking right now that, oh, we're doing the coaching thing, we're engaging our employees really well. I pulled a stat from (laughs) your guide to coaching leadership. I don't know where the source data came from, so maybe you can shed light on that. But the quote and the stat said, 77% of leaders think they do a good job of engaging their employees. However, 88% of employees say their leaders don't engage them enough. So I think there's like a huge mismatch between what the leader's perception is versus what employees actually say in terms of engagement. So it's an awareness thing on the leader's side. How do you bring that awareness to light other than a statistic like that shedding light on the fact that Hey, if your employees may not think that they're being engaged as much as you believe that you're doing it, how do you bring that to light in most organizations? Do you know where it came from, by the way? I don't. Building champions pulled that. (laughs) I just find it absolutely fascinating, though, that we as leaders think that we are engaging our employees, right? Like we're talking to them about how their work's going or, hey, how are the plans coming? Or, hey, are you accomplishing your results? But then you talk to the employees, you're like, no, like Mm -hmm. I'm not being engaged at all. It's just fascinating. So how do you discover that? I think you've got to just go out and survey your people in your organization, right? Like Mm -hmm. go just do a simple survey of your leaders and your managers and say, hey, do you feel like you are engaging your team? And if so, in what ways? I like to use numbers. So maybe like on a scale of one to five, right? Five being everybody is super engaged. One is they are ready to leave yesterday sort of thing, right? And then do the same thing for their team. 
and then just compare where are the discrepancies. Another interesting idea too, maybe is as you're doing that survey, collecting some data is ask the managers and leaders, like just in a few words, what does effective engagement of your team look like? And then ask your team the same thing. What does effective engagement from your leader look like? And see just where the gaps and discrepancies or similarities are. You may find it your team is thriving in this arena. Another stat I thought was so powerful was in the guide, it said 65% of employees would forego a raise to see their leader fired. That's just disgusting in my mind. Like, What's wrong with the way that leaders are leading or I guess not leading right now? My gosh, Like, I would rather give up a pay raise? Yeah, no, I like money. But I guess if you're miserable, then I understand. Right. I would rather see you fired. Like, give me a shot at somebody else than giving me money. (laughs) But, you know, really, I mean, that speaks to how much we value leadership, right? I think so many leaders get put into a position of leadership that they might not have been ready for and they might not be wired for, right? Like, if you think about how do a lot of leaders end up in a manager sort of role? And this isn't across the board, but in a lot of ways, you have people that are high performers, right? Like, you are getting a lot of stuff done. You're really successful. Hey, let's put you in charge of a project. Okay. So you thrive at that project and get great results. Oh, well, now we're going to give you some people to manage. Now here's your team. And all of a sudden, like you've spent your career producing really great things and getting great results. And now you're put in charge of managing people or leading people. Mm -hmm. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Have we actually talked to you about what that looks like and equipped you for that that new leadership? So the reason I share that idea is because I think that's where that stat that you brought in and the fact that we want to fire our leader, it comes in because there's so many managers and leaders that are in the workplace right now that either don't need to be there or they just don't understand what it means that they are leading people. Like they're not just leading numbers and data and goals, but They have real people and real lives that they're responsible for. The managers and leaders that get that, like, hey, I'm not here just for numbers and metrics. I'm here because real people depend on me. And if I can help unlock their potential, that it will drive our team and our organization forward. Those are the leaders that will take our pay raise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't fire him. Like, I want to stay working for him because there's something more than just pushing and cranking on the cog. You know what? You hit on something really interesting, Adam, that a lot of leaders aren't really equipped to be leaders. They were maybe really good at doing whatever they were doing before. And it's like the next opportunity along the way is now you got to manage people or lead people. And there's two things I want to bring up. We read this book as a leadership group a couple of years ago uh, called The Leadership Contract. And that was really like people making that jump from like individual contributor to a manager or leadership position. They've got to really buy into it and agree to it. And some people just willingly agree to it because there's more money at play. But they don't really agree to the fact that now they're leading people and they don't have the tools and resources to necessarily be a great leader. So I think those are the two things. It's like, are you bought in as a leader? And then are you really equipped? And if not, what do you need to get to be equipped to be the proper leader, which is now in your mind and I believe it too, coaching leadership. What do you think about what I just said there? I think you're absolutely spot on. When you're engaging somebody and asking them, hey, are you bought into this idea of leadership? It's, do you really understand what that leadership means? And then there's far few people who are equipped and trained 
to be leaders, right? You know, there's the idea of, are you on the right seat of the bus, right? The whole good to great thing. And so I'm a firm believer in that. But to partner with that idea, you can learn how to be a great leader. I think some people are wired to be great leaders, but I think that you have to believe that everybody has the potential and the opportunity if they are trained the right way and have the right mindset to really thrive in that role. I don't think you have to be Winston Churchill to be mm-hmm. you know, a great leader of your team. Yeah, I believe it too. So give me an example of how a leader might coach an employee compared to like the average leader who really doesn't go about it that way. Kind of part two to that question, how do you build that into your day as a manager leader? If I am coaching one of my team members to kind of jump to the end of it, there's a certain structure that needs to be in place, right? Like I need my calendar, my ideal week needs to reflect what my priorities are. And if I'm going to be a coaching leader, I'm saying that my priority is coaching my team. First off, one-on-one meetings, they need to be in there and they need to be regular and you do not need to cancel them, right? Those are sacred times that if I'm meeting with my direct report every other week for 30 minutes, it needs to happen. So those one-on-one meetings are critical. My note-taking inside of those meetings is another really important component. How? Because you know, if I have uh, 12 direct reports in a meeting with, and I'm meeting with them every other week, on top of every other component of my job responsibilities, I've got to be able to take good notes and keep up with everybody. Another important component of just the structure of a coaching leader and me engaging with my team is the margins in my calendar. And what I mean by that is I need to care for my team, but I need to have open time, almost ad hoc time, or even schedule time in your calendar to walk the floor, right? Like you can't just say like, oh, I'm going to be haphazard today. Because if you don't plan that time, something else will plan it for you, right? Having that free time scheduled to connect in a really real and authentic way is important. And then lastly, just investing and developing yourself. Like, how are you growing as a leader? So your calendar should reflect that. So for me as a coach, my Fridays are blocked out. And that's my self-development day. That's when I'm staying sharp, reading articles, making sure that I am on top of my own leadership. So I kind of jumped to the end of like, what does the structure and the calendaring look like? The bottom line there is super intentionality. And when you look at your calendar, you should see the structure of coaching your people and developing your people shining right back at you. I love Now, that. so once you have that structure in place, what does the actual engagement look like? I'm keeping our calls pretty short and sweet, 30 to 45 minutes. We're going back to that kind of structure that we brought up before in terms of well-being, vision, execution, productivity. And my job in that interaction is to ask questions. Hey, so since the last time we spoke, since the last time we sat down, what was the greatest victory that you experienced? What was the greatest challenge? What is holding you back from accomplishing true success? And as they unpack these things, whether it's them pursuing personal goals or them pursuing business goals, my job is to continue to shed light and ask questions around ideas that they would not have thought of before. So it's not just me seeking clarity, but it's me trying to get them to have a paradigm shift. But the goal of my interaction when I'm having these one-on-one conversations with my team is for them to sit back and be like, wow, I didn't think about that before. That's a really good question. So I think when you engage in that way, a little bit of personal, a lot of business, when they feel cared and known for, 
and you're not just directing and telling them what to do, you're going to have a successful coaching relationship. I love that. It really seems like in order to be a good coach, trust absolutely needs to be present in the relationship. What are some great ways that you could build trust amongst your employees? Is it really just asking some of those questions you described? Is it much more than that? What do you think? Hmm. Trust is absolutely uh, (laughs) the foundational element of any healthy relationship, right? Whether it's with your spouse or your kids or at work or with a coach, you know, on the baseball field or whatever, they've got to know that you're there for them and they've got to trust you. I think the cornerstone of trust is being authentic, being vulnerable and just being real, right? Like when you're cold and it's nothing but business and you're not showing who you are as well, like you're not reciprocating that relationship, it's going to be really hard to build that trust. So to me, those are the cornerstones of building that trust. Have you run into any manager leader types that just aren't bought into this way of thinking in terms of being a coach and you know being empathetic, trusting all those things that leaders today should be? Yeah. I think you've got to have the right mindset to adopt this sort of philosophy. All I can do is when I run across somebody who's like, hey, I don't get it. I don't really believe it. All I can do is tell them the experiences I've had. Like, hey, here are the stories that the way it's worked for me, how I've seen this impact me, the teams I've led. Hey, give this a shot. Let's just figure this out. I'll train you up. We'll talk about it. I'll equip you and give it a shot. Be open-minded. But at the end of the day, I can't force this on somebody. If they are really going to be that hard-nosed about it, sometimes you just have to walk away from that. And I'm thinking more from a coach and client relationship as you know, not everybody is open to this kind of coaching as well. right? So it's a two-way street there. So a lot of the ideas that we just talked about, they're from a couple guides that you guys have at Building Champions. Where could people find that guide? And what other resources do you want to point people to as we kind of wrap up this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So two guides. One is a guide to coaching leadership and the other is building a coaching culture. They both can be found on the landing page that we have in the show notes. Of course, you can check out Building Champions, Executive and Leadership Coaching on our website and I can be found at LinkedIn. A couple of other questions I want to ask before we part. What's a book that you're reading or have read in the past that has helped you become a better coach that you love and recommend to other executives that you coach? Mm, two books come to mind. Essentialism, right? By Greg McKeown. Yeah, I love that book. Isn't it fantastic? In this world of just so much, I think that simplification brings so much life. There's one that I read a while back that I recommend to a lot of folks. H3 Leadership by Brad Lomanick. And it's be humble, be hungry, always hustle. I just think that if you have a sense of humility, a sense of hunger, and you're ready to get after it, what cool and really powerful components of a leader. Adam, I'm one of those guys that like if I get a book recommended to me, I usually go out and buy it. So I'll probably go buy that one. There was one I was recommended the other day. And I think I ran across it from an article that Adam Grant wrote on LinkedIn somewhere, but it's called The Trillion Dollar Coach, The Leadership Playbook of Silicon Valley's Bill Campbell. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. I'm going to have to check it out though. So I guess Bill Campbell was like prominent executive and a coach for a lot of like the big players in Silicon Valley. So I'm excited to read that. I'll let you know how it is, but I bought it on a whim. So we'll see how that goes. Well, I've got it written down. So I'm going to go buy it as well. Good man. Okay. So as an executive coach, what's a typical day look like for you if you could describe it? Ooh, lots of coaching calls. So all of our coaching is on the phone. 
I get cranking about 8.30. I have three or four calls back to back. I have an hour and a half blocked at lunch where I go get my run in because we talk about well-being yes. and that's critical for me. And I come back, hop on, grab some more calls in the afternoon, and then I'm off to coach baseball for my kids. I love that you have balance in your schedule. What is the one question that you start almost all your coaching calls with? It changes every time. What I shared a few minutes ago about what's the greatest victory, what's the greatest challenge that you've experienced since the last time we've talked, that's typically our starting point. That's great. Well, Adam Brantley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. I kept you a little longer, but this is a lot of fun. I enjoyed the discussion. It's really important. Yo, I'm super passionate about it. I'm super excited that you had me on. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic.